0: Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tordashek podcast. You know what I'm about to say, and I know you don't want to hear it, but we need your support. The Tordashek is really struggling at the moment to keep the lights on, mics on, and the conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. We have no ads, we have no sponsors, we have no corporate interests, we have no sugar daddy. We rely entirely on you to keep it going. So if you're one of the thousands of people listening, please join us. Please come on board. Please click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise It is the only way we can keep the show on the road. And it is the easiest bit of activism you can do. And we really appreciate every cent we get. There's no point sugarcoating it. We have had a terrible couple of weeks on the tortoise shack. We have thousands of additional listeners, but we're really struggling to make ends meet and keep this thing going. So if you value independent media, you have to pay for it. I'm sorry, I wish I had a different answer for you, but I do not want the tortoise shack to become a billboard for corporate interests, editorial control, and the type of crap that is now owned by basically two large companies in Ireland in terms of the podcast networks. And we just don't want to do that. It is not who we are, and it's not who I think you want to listen to. So do me a favor and click the link that says patreon.com forward slash I am shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Shrapnel Podcast. I am your only host tonight. My name's Sam McElwee, and my uh, my partner in crime, Gareth, unfortunately, is sick. Now he's telling me he's not well, but I actually think it's to do with the Nottingham Forest game that was on yesterday. Again, they lost. And it's kind of hard to take when it's week in, week out. I understand, Gareth. So get better soon, mate. Um, tonight, I am joined by somebody who is not only scaring the life out of me, but excite me at the same time. Um, she is the communications officer of the Young Unionist Movement, and it's Alana Cahoon. Uh, and the reason it's scaring me is because this is, this is the dilemma we have. We have a young person here who's willing to come on and talk about their their ideas, their future, their, their, their the way they want to progress, but because they have very little of a backstory, it gives us very little ammunition as podcasters to get in there, but here we go, we're going to dig into Alana, we're going to find out what's going on um, and just find out what us old guys don't know about what the young ones are bringing to the table, so hello Alana, how are you doing?
2: I'm good, how are you?
1: I am, I am good I'm, I'm missing my sidekick because the two of us usually <laughs> spar off each other and I'm going to have to sort of show my true grit tonight and get through this so if you can bear with me these questions might be off the wall but we're going to go for this
2: May as well May as well my first podcast so I'm looking forward to it
1: <sighs> Okay right the challenge is down let's, let's start a marker for the rest to follow <laughs> I suppose um, I'm going to have to ask the questions I mean you're the young unionists are, are linked to the Ulster Unionist Party and, and for many people when they think of the Ulster Unionist Party especially in my generation it would be the men in grey suits, the middle class upper class guys that came round and sort of round the election time and told us what they wanted us to do and who to vote for and, and they're, the unionists are always sort of they're always painted in this picture of um, bowler hats, collarettes, suits on and away they go and, and to be honest you, you debunk all those so how, how have you sort of ended up where you've ended up politically?
2: Yeah, well, I feel like I've always been the type of person, like growing up, I was always really interested in school and like history, politics, debating, and kind of knew that I wanted to get involved politically. Um, I feel like growing up, you know, I would have quite social views on things like, same sex marriage and things like abortion. But the mainstream unionist media that I was seeing was very much like anti same sex marriage, anti abortion. And in my brain, like I've grown up in a unionist area with unionist values and I very much do see myself aligned with those constitutionally. However, I was always like, oh, there's no place for me in this because I don't agree with their social side of things. Um, so for many years like I studied politics at A level um you know it was always told to us that like unionist was considered right wing and that nationalist was considered left wing and to me I was like that can't be because I didn't see myself as a, like a right winger um but it actually my first kind of introduction to the Ulster Unionist Party it came when I did a lot of um youth work growing up so a lot of cross community projects um especially with like together building united communities like Teabuck, and we had a radio show that we got to host in Brownlow Youth Centre and the Lord Mayor at the time, Julie Flaherty, who is an Australianist unionist um, councillor, she came along, was so bubbly, so involved with like all of the young people uh, and like I think from that point that kind of got me thinking that like oh the Lord Mayor is not just some like old man who comes and shakes everybody's hand and in Leeds like we had Julie on the radio we had her um you know listening to us like sing and dance and it was fantastic to see so kind of got in contact with Julie again months and months later um she found out that I was kind of interested in politics and it wasn't just like me from a radio show. Um and she invited me to come along to the ABC Council building. Um not anything politically affiliated. She let me know that from the start. Like you're not obligated to join us. It's literally just we're taking young people round, we're giving them a tour of the government buildings and, you know, come along. So I did. And then kind of from then onwards I was being pointed to more and more events that weren't necessarily like party affiliated at all um but like things where I was starting to meet other young people that were also interested in politics um so kind of as I got a bit older I say older I was like 16 at this time and in 17 18 is when I really started to to kind of be like right I think I'm going to join a party um it kind of came to me as a no-brainer as I'd met um a lot of the other like young unionists um in particular like our president of the Young Unionist, Ben Sharkey, he's 23 and he was a very kind of like cool guy, was really interested in his politics. And I was like, you know what? These are my type of people rather than the mainstream view of like these old men in suits. But um, like in, in general, like being with the Austrian Unionists um, throughout election times, you know, they've really allowed me to kind of take a front seat in things like I was out canvassing with them I was getting to speak to um people on the doors as well as that I got to go to the count center which was like really really cool for me like me sitting 19 years of age watching like all these like people that I'd only seen on tv before um it's kind of just went from there like it was more so opportunities to meet other people and finding like-minded people
1: yeah, you're talking there about you're a unionist, so that's how you identify as a unionist. Yeah, and I'll I'll always identify as a lawyer. So, how are you a unionist and not a loyalist? This is not a question. To sort of, yeah, it to get at you. It's a question where I wanna I want to tease that out. Where do you see the I've, difference in, in your mind's eye?
2: Um, I feel like you know it's in terms for me generationally, um, loyalists. Are seen as like there's bad connotations around it simply because it was it was always referred to as like loyalist dissidents, loyalist violence rather than like unionist violence, union, you know, it's more so like in that kind of bracket where to me, like just growing up and hearing that associated, to me, loyalism can be associated with like violence, which is not the case now, but I feel like if I had that prejudice growing up, then I don't want to then introduce myself as that. Um, But as well as that, I feel like loyalism has this like major connotation of like loyalism to the crown, to the royal family. And for me personally, I don't agree with everything the royal family does. So I also wouldn't describe myself as somebody that's like completely dead set loyal to the crown because that's, not necessarily
1: my view yeah i mean from from what i'm listening to i mean you're progressive you're left-leaning um i wouldn't say you're full socialist but you're you're left of center and you're like myself in that and i'm like you i find it hard to find a home politically within within our sphere i mean the progressive unionist party at your age that's where i was um and at your age i was in town centers and stuff like that so i understand how it goes. Now, there's a warning that at that age I was there so I'm now podcasting so you can see where you're going to be in 30 years time. You're going to be sitting on a microphone talking to some stranger <coughs> in, a far, in a far off room. Um, so yeah, so you can see your future mapping out in front of you here. But it's, yeah, we're, we're back to that where the Loyalist name, the, the sort of word and connotation is sort of dragged in with the knuckle dragon thugged and, thug, and it's, it's linked to drug dealing it's linked to sort of the criminality and the paramilitary side of things. You mean, uh, I, I remember having a conversation with somebody where are all loyalists paramilitaries no but are all paramilitaries loyalists on that side probably then you know but it's 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 where we define that community because i when i was growing up the loyalist community was to Shankill, it was yeah. road, was Donegal road it was the, the village uh and it wasn't necessarily because we all went out and we have uvf and uda flags the weekend it's because it was a working class area with left-leaning tendencies and uh, a very social mind um so I, I can see where it is. And, and I also can see why you've landed where you've landed because the Ulster Unionist Party has moved ground and where they used to stand and where they are. They're, they're certainly a lot more, I hate the word, liberal, but they they are there. I mean, under Doug Beattie, they have moved slightly further as well on, on a lot of issues. I wouldn't say Doug is left of centre, but I would say his policies are more progressive than they used to be for the party. So I can see how you've landed there. So the, suppose so the bigger question is, where do you see it going?
2: Personally, Where do you see the party
1: going as in... Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I, you know, at the moment, we're only in our, like, this next election will be coming up on three election cycles after a change in leadership, which it normally takes that amount of change to start to really define, like, who you are and what you're doing for your party. I think... A lot of our candidates that we ran in that last election, they weren't career politicians. They weren't, uh my dad was the M- the MP for the area, so I'm going to run because that means I'll get in. You know, most of our MP or not MPs, sorry, like MLAs and councillors are working class people. Like we have teachers with somebody running that, like ran an ice cream van. We have like shop owners. We like every kind of person that I feel like See, if I look at somebody and I'm like, they're a teacher, I can relate that to my mum. And I'm like, they're a normal person versus somebody who's just sat on their family's political success for a lot of years, which is something that I can see in other places like the DUP. Um, You know, a lot of them are kind of rooted in having successful families in that area and it's just like a carry on from that. Um, But I feel yeah. like the, the Ulster Unionist Party, it's creating that space where I think a lot of possibly younger people, but this is just my view, because that's the only view I can have as a younger person, that a lot of them may have tended to go to alliance, go to middle ground, because whilst they wanted to take a side on a, a, unionals, like a unionist or, or nationalist stance, the social aspects and the social policies didn't match up. Because for a long time when I was like, kind of 15, 16, when I was thinking about getting into politics, I was like, God, should I join Alliance? Because I was like, oh, I like this idea of like going for peace and going for this. But I realised that being part of the union and like my British identity is actually really important to me. And the moves that the Ulster Unionist Party has made in the last couple of years are definitely more towards a party that, well, it is a party that I'm proud to say like I'm a member of, but it's. Different than it was 15, 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. And I, I say that uh, the small U unionists, as we call them, um, who are off that community, but aren't fully reliant on being part of the union, would have bled towards the, the Alliance party. And, and that's where a lot of the votes came from in the size. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'll, I'll not take it away from Alliance. They certainly have, have played the game extremely well to get to where they are. Um, from a party that was on the fringes to being the third largest party in the country, they've, they've done well. And I can't take it away from them. Um, no,
2: fantastic, you know, what they are able to do. Um, and especially like how young um, a lot of their candidates are, like completely fair play to them for that but definitely I think as parties like the SDLP and the UUP have changed in the last couple of years there's been a shift not obviously the the alliance have grown but there's a shift I think from those people that were like in alliance and on the fe- and kind of on the fence as to what way they wanted to vote to now feeling comfortable to go either side
1: yeah I, I was- and again, Alliance have always built built their house on the fact that they didn't have to decide the constitutional question. And at some point in the future, the way things are going, we may have to. So that, that may be the disruptor that comes along that sort of ends the the sort of um the daydream for them. It sort of wakes them up a bit. Um but that's that's their battle the fight, and we'll we'll leave them to it. I'm sure they can they can certainly cope with it. Um, and yeah. they're they're a big party. Um the Ulster Unionists I'll go back to them. Um yeah the how they describe this? It, when I was growing up, as I said, the Pro- Progressive Unionist Party f- ticked all my boxes because I seen people like me in there, and I and I can see what you're saying about you're looking at the Ulster Unionists and seeing people like you now in there, and you can relate to that. And I can give you stories about what I've experienced and come up with, but to me, they're worthless at the minute for you because you're going to blaze the path forward for unionism as 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 far as it goes, and we've done our job and. Not that we can sit back in the veranda and drink sort of like a coffee and watch you, you just carry the, the torch forward, but you'll have entirely different ideas than what we did. Because I know that when I was your age, I had entirely different ideas than, than the old fogies coming before me as such. Yeah. So taking on board where we were in the 70s and 80s and in my generation of the 90s and the noughties, you guys are coming through. And how do you see your own personal ideas evolving within unionism? And how would you like that to impact yeah.
2: Well I think something that I am very very aware of is the fact that me like right now I have a platform I am a well-known like young woman in unionism you know I'm approached multiple times per month from people that are hi I'm writing a study on Northern Ireland we're struggling to get young women in unionism would you be interested in chatting to us and it you know, it follows on from that. And even things like um recently I was on a BBC documentary about the union. And again, I'm like, this is because I am a young woman in unionism and there's not a lot of young women that are outspoken within kind of our community. So I realised that I do have a platform and that I do have almost a responsibility to kind of look to people younger my age even a wee bit older and say like look it's all right for you to be outspoken it's okay for you to get involved in politics because to be fair when I first even started getting involved um with the Austrian it was a majority men and to be honest it still is we like well in the youth wing at least because I feel like a lot of young women don't really want to take that step if they see that it is a majority male kind of dominated thing. But I honestly saw that as like a challenge um, at the start, because I was very much like, I can worm my way in and I can get a place for young women like me. And not saying that I want to be like a role model, but I just want to show other people like, you can do this. Like there's nothing stopping you from just getting out there. Like, Nobody in my family has ever, ever became politically involved before. And I just somehow managed to do it. I, I, I don't know. it. I think it actually probably stemmed from I was um, scouted by the BBC in... I was first year of A-levels, so I was 16, to go on The Top Table with Stephen Nolan. And on my episode of The Top Table, there was five young people every single one of these people were in their second and third years of university and i was in my first year of a levels so again at this age of 16 i was like the one representative for young women and unionism that people were able to get a hold of so um i think definitely with like my views on unionism it's about promoting a positive and inclusive unionism for all you know where we can exist alongside people that are middle ground that aren't unionist, that are nationalist. like we can all exist in the one country and I think it's important to not kind of disillusion yourself that everybody's going to think the same as you because that that's not that's never going to happen and especially not in Northern Ireland but it's okay to associate yourself with something that you believe in even if everybody else doesn't,
1: yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying there about it being a the sort of not token female in the room, but you know what I mean—the being the minority of of sort of balance in this, and and, and the, the reluctance of young females to come through. And I can see why, because when you when you read through Twitter, sometimes it says pit that it is, and you see the likes of uh, Stacey Graham or Arling Foster, and Michelle O'Neill. The comments that are levelled at them, based on their gender, as opposed to what their political views are, sometimes are bad enough. So, and then the other side of it is, we've seen um, some of your colleagues in the in the Young Unionists taking pelters from people because of their parents, because of their age, their ed experience. How are we meant to bring the next generation along? I mean, it doesn't. St- we're not going to be around forever. You know, we we have to look at how we encourage, and I would like to see a lot more young females come through, you know, so how do we, how do we stop, stop the crap is, is basically, <laughs> I, I'm not going to put it other anyway, next than yeah. that. Stop the crap that is thrown at young females on social media and allow them the space and the confidence to put their heads above the parapet.
2: To be honest, I would love the answer to this one um, <laughs> because every single time I post anything there's some form of comment about my appearance. So for reference, I'm quite heavily tattooed. People are like, oh, she can't be a unionist. She can't be this, she can't be that. And I'm like, "Like, what does what I do with my body have to affect my politics or have to affect my views on anything? And even the one that made me laugh the most was I used to have um split dyed hair. It was like Cruella de Ville type of thing. So half of it was blonde and half of it was ginger. I went to the UUP, it was like a party AGM, had a photo of me and Doug Beatty and I had green trousers on. So the blonde hair, the ginger hair and the green trousers. First thing was pointed out, she's dressed up as a tricolour. And I was like, right, guys, come on here. <laughs> and it's like, I'll just get comments about like my hair, about my piercings, about my tattoos. And it's like, that's, that, That really doesn't matter because I feel like a lot of people in like the older generations really do think like to be a politician or to be like politically involved, you have to be this like man in a suit with perfect hair and you have to look a certain way. But when you consider the demographic of people that would be voting for people like myself, if I were to run it are people like me most young people nowadays have piercings a lot of them have tattoos a lot of them have funky hair colors like you're not going to get anywhere by just being completely uniform it's about being able to stand out and I feel like the women are kind of pressed on it more so for this like there's the whole kind of stereotype of like oh the girl with the blue hair is complaining like you know about some something, something and it's like I just don't understand why it's such a thing and why people feel the need to point stuff like this out because, like, how does the colour of my hair, like, even impact anything I'm saying? Because it doesn't, but that's the thing that people pick up on.
1: I suppose it's their own bias coming out and their own fears yeah, and insecurity yeah. coming out. Yeah. And you're talking about there, but we have this idea in our head that our politicians should be in suits and short hair and well manicured and well, they, they've been in the job for x amount of years, and they haven't really done a very good job of it. So maybe a change is what we need. Um, and you're and you're right about the demographic. And, it, and it's smart it's smart of parties to do this to change the demographic of their makeup of their of their representatives to attract the demographic that's out there. I mean, it's 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 as simple as supply and demand. I mean, if if you're voting, um, and I know my I've, I've kids your age, and I'm I talking to them and their friends and their and their peer groups and their community groups they're really apathetic in this country towards politics in general. So the fact is there are a group of you guys here out there who are sort of burning and and chomping at the bit to get going. I I think we need to go full throttle with this and and encourage it, um, nurture it and protect it and get it, and get it out there.
2: I feel like there is such a negative view on politics, especially within young people like, I do a politics degree myself and every time I tell that to like to anyone really they're always just like oh what are you doing that for? Or you're like and this is a conversation I have every time because people think like oh politics is this really boring thing and like politics is just like the kind of British Prime Minister giving a speech and it's like it's so much more than that to me. It's you know looking at international relations, it's looking at all these really interesting things that go on around the world and even how to make the world a better place but because I feel like of the legacy in Northern Ireland people see that as politics and just shut it out because they don't want anything to do with it.
1: Yeah, they'd be the same, they they would tell me that, I mean they're not sectarian in the slightest, they're friends from all sorts of communities and backgrounds and they do want to be affiliated to a party in case it gives an impression that they're taken aside and, and they're not. So I think, yes, a new generation of, of politics needs to be born. And whether that means you have to rebrand with your names and your colours and your logos, I, I don't know. But it's it's something that we need to be looking at, especially in the unionist community where our turnout is so low. It, it,
2: horrendously it low. is. Um, that fear of like feeling like if you join, you're going to like alienate anybody else that you're friends with from like another side of the community. I am the poster child for that. That's, that's not true. My bestest friend is a card holding member of Sinn Féin and we are the best of friends like and there's there's no issues between us he knows that I'm in the Austrian News party I know that he's in Sinn Féin it's a non-issue we're still friends regardless of what political group yeah there's a bit of slagging going on every election period but that you mess with your friends you slag them off like that's yeah. common so neither of us are afraid to admit political views so I don't see why anybody else should be in that sense. I think it would be a lot,
1: a, a lot, a lot of my generation and generation before uh, on that relationship. say, so how can you do that when they did this? And, and they'll be like, why Why can't we did that to them? And it's like, you don't have that baggage and that's the way it should be. Yeah. That's why we did what we did in 98. That's why we did what we had to do and, and we got the place. So the generation, because you're post 98 um, yeah. coming through now. You're 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 the first breath of fresh air that's not weighed down by that baggage. Who can who can respect it and look to it, but you don't have to carry that baggage. And I think that's I mean, I remember bringing that up at, a, at an event, um, talking to the guys from Lucid Talk. I think was there, uh, or Strategy and I, and sent him. This is the first election that the the Good Friday Babies, as such, were going to vote in. Yeah, and something they hadn't considered that people were starting to vote who weren't around when the ceasefires weren't done. And they've, all they've ever known is, granted there's been the odd gun attack and there has been bomb attacks and the paramilitaries are still yeah. knocking about, but it is nowhere near the level that we had. So it's good to see people like yourself coming through with a passion for politics without the baggage, because you're actually talking about policies now. You're yeah. not talking about demons.
2: Because I feel like, you know, growing up in Northern Ireland, like I'm... Twenty. I was born in two thousand and three, so five years after the Good Friday Agreement. But because I was born after the Good Friday Agreement, doesn't mean that the legacy of the Troubles doesn't impact my life at every given moment. To be completely honest with you, like there, there's so many undertones of like stuff that has happened in the past that it's impossible to escape from. Like, um, I live in Scotland at the minute. I'm in university in Glasgow, and it's like. People just think over here that it ended in 98 and that's it. But we see like the lasting impacts of a conflict. Like we are a a post-conflict country and my generation specifically are the children that came after the ceasefire. So whilst we have not experienced, well, most of us have not experienced the actual violence of the troubles firsthand, we are having this like post-generational trauma passed down to us from our parents, from our grandparents. And that's nobody's fault. But that's how a country is going to be post conflict. Like you'll have those like unconscious like biases of like your parents being like, don't go to this area because at this time during the troubles, this happened there. So that's unsafe. When in reality it's not unsafe. But in our brains now it is because this something has happened there in the past. Um Um, Like, we see the impact of it as well, especially with like the mental health crisis in Northern Ireland. People don't talk about things. It's, for some reason, it's in our culture that we don't talk about things. So we are, you know, growing up with parents, family members, grandparents that have issues going on because of stuff that they've seen during the conflict, because of things that have happened to them during the conflict, and nobody speaks about it. So then it doesn't kind of, resolve itself so we're all kind of growing up in this kind of weird can I talk about it can I not situation but also like you we almost feel like obviously it wasn't we weren't alive during it it's not our thing to be technically traumatized by but we are every single day because there is aftermath there is still sectarianism there is still segregation there's there's still peace walls and we are faced to grow up around that it's it's a really interesting way to grow up and especially um like when I meet people over here that have lived in Scotland lived in England their whole lives like our view of tragedy and like violence is almost very muted like somebody was saying something a couple of days ago about like oh there was a bomb scare, and I was like standard thursday like because to me that doesn't really set off anything in my head anymore like that's really crazy i can't believe that's happening but then everyone else was like what the hell like why are you used to hearing this and it's like uh northern irish like it's just something that we've all grown up around yes
1: it's the abnormal normal that we grew up with um it was normal for us um the rest of the world wouldn't tolerate it but we did and I, I get what you're saying because we, me and Gareth have spoken a lot and we've had guests on talking about the transgenerational trauma and whether that be parents that have been impacted because they have been injured or killed or you've got uh, family members who've been jailed and the breakdown of family structures or the breakdown of mental health when released. Uh, there is such a legacy thereof. that, and Again, it's one of the things we're not touching is because we don't know how to. Yeah. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody today and I brought up about Shrapnel and what we're doing in the future and said, we still don't talk about the, the feud, the loudest feud of, of the northeast we, we don't talk about the impact in the shankle in certain areas because of it. it's still very raw you know, and I can understand And I, I really don't have the desire to, to poke that yet. It's there. It's the elephant in the room at some point we will have to discuss and move forward with. But we can't... And that was pain we inflicted on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we're going to look at the, the pain that was inflicted on each other as communities grow, uh, go, then yeah. So I'm glad I'm talking to you because I could be very, not dismissive, but I can be very sort of ignorant to how the transgenerational transgener- trauma is hitting a different generation because I'm sort of thinking, we done the hard work, we survived it, it's all over and done with. Now you guys have, you guys have got an easy run. And then I listen to you and you're talking and it's like, hold on you know what, yeah. that's ignorant of me to think that that's not the case so that's why we need to have the conversations with, with those coming behind us because we need to know how they're feeling and why they're feeling and, and what we're also doing at the minute to impact that by not helping the process and by leaving you guys with other baggies that you that you didn't earn that were, were handed it to you anyway I mean the legacy Bill has recently went through in, in the House of Commons and it's going to have us second or third reading shortly and I've never seen Northern Ireland politicians unite on anything but they have on this they're all they're all against it. <laughs> is there any way in your head and that's a big question sorry is there any way in your head how we move forward with the legacy in Northern Ireland?
2: I think we've got to realize that it's not going to happen overnight and my generation being the first generation after the troubles hasn't happened with us. Will it happen with our children? Who knows? Because it is very much a cultural thing. It's not that, you know, there obviously is still violence going on, but it's not the violence that's affecting people anymore. It is the mental health issues. It's the segregation. Like, for example, I when I did a lot of work with TBUC, which is like a cross-community initiative, it's run by the Education Authority, we took a trip Two summers ago to Croatia and we're speaking to young people, same age as us, that there was also a conflict in Croatia in the 80s and 90s, much more bloodshed than Northern Ireland, a lot more brutal than Northern Ireland. But these young people were all living in mixed communities and these young people could openly talk about this conflict, could openly talk about what had happened to them And then we were telling them, yeah, we still all go to separate schools and yeah, we still live in separate housing estates and we still have peace walls. Like these young people could not believe it that we were still so separated as a society. Like not to obviously downplay the troubles, but as a conflict that was so much less bloody than theirs. Um, I think it's, it's structural, it's societal. I, th- I think the sooner kind of we move past this whole like us and them mentality, the better. But that's you know, that's not gonna happen in a couple of years. It's gonna take generational change for that to happen.
1: Yeah, you talk about the education system there and the split that we have. I was at an event there at the weekend. Um, has the education system failed our children? And it was an interesting discussion about are we failing our children. Now there was a lot of a centre in around the round transfer test, uh, which is a whole different podcast on its own. Let me tell you, I
2: didn't do but that. But the
1: segregation
2: plan—I was the the weird one <laughs> it Portadown that we had three schools, the American system. See, I like that. It's so. Fun. I like
1: that idea because yeah,
2: I, I, like I know it's a bit of a hassle, like changing school every three years. But you see when you're in your like last school, so like, for example, it'll it'll be like Portland College or Lurgan College. You are in a school with the youngest person in there is 16. So you're being treated like adults. You're being taught how to actually do your exams rather than like tripping over a 10 year old in the corridor. It's, you know, I think it's a good way of like learning your independence and being actually paid attention to at the ages that you need to be.
1: Yeah, I also think it removes that thing of being an eleven year old, twelve year old child yeah. walking near a playground and there's a 17, 18 year old man what? in a school uniform beside you. It removes that that sort of pressure. Uh, that because you're coming from a primary school where you were the biggest, a, a P seven or year seven or whatever it is now, and you're moving forward and you're all of a sudden you are a tiny little fish. Yeah. in a big pond. Um yeah, so but as far as the education system goes, we have a duplication of our teacher training colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, we both belong to Queen's University, believe it or not. Um, and we have, at the age of five, we filter our kids. Unless you, unless you pick to go to integrated college by your parents, you're you're put into these streams, and there's every chance you'll be 18 before you meet somebody of the other community, and then we expect them to live in harmony. Uh,
2: it's exactly, because you, I can fully yeah. see that if there wasn't things that I was involved with outside of school, like, you know, youth clubs that did cross community initiatives, I probably wouldn't have met somebody that was a Catholic or a nationalist until I was 18, 19 or in the workforce. And, yeah, you know, yes, that's, um, that's uh, again, not a good again. system to have.
1: Yeah, we we build up then this this image in our head, this sort of fantasy, sort of, I don't know, um, some sort of TV show in our head, what the other community are like. And, I mean, Dairy Girls did it brilliantly. Uh, I thought that's where you were going to go with the whole Croatia thing, a a blackboard in a room somewhere and people putting pictures (laughs) in cupboards. Uh, But yeah, we we do this and and we then expect Expect, I don't know, what our kids to do at the age of 18, 17 and, <clears> and <throat> live in harmony. And we, we don't we don't give them the skills that the experience. On the other side of that, we put them into a school of five when they have no prejudice at all. Mm-hmm. And we build the prejudice into them Yeah, with the schooling system that we have.
2: And that's that's another thing that I think that like it almost reinforces um, that level of separation. Because, you see, when I was growing up, so... I'm from like a majority Protestant unionist family, but my granny and granda are mixed marriage. So my granda's a Catholic and my grannies are Protestant. And thankfully, where they grew up in Banbridge, that wasn't really a big deal. But I was very aware that, so I had two great grannies. One of them you went to and she had pictures of the Pope everywhere. The other great granny, she would come down and watch the parades with you. And to me, that was that wasn't like a a difference thing. I was just like, she really likes the Pope, and that, like, to me, that, that I didn't understand. And then as I got older, I realised like, oh, I have a Catholic side of the family, and I have a Protestant side of the family. And then it's like, you know, to me, it wasn't a big deal that my granny and granddad were mixed marriage. But then when we're learning about stuff in school it's like, oh, mixed marriages were a really big deal back then, like especially in like history and politics. And to me, I'm like, God, this is awful strange. This is something that I've grown up with. Like it's it's not that big of a deal. But obviously everyone's kind of first experience with like a cross-community aspect or meeting somebody from the other side of the community is going to be different. But for me, like I was faced with it from birth. (laughs) I had no choice, you know pretty mixed family in that sense
1: good gives you a good grounding Um, I don't know what age you are I don't like asking people their age did you vote in the Brexit referendum
2: no gosh no I was I was 13 at the time Um,
1: right okay that makes you feel really old okay I
2: remember my mum waking me up to go to school and she goes we're out and I was like what she goes Brexit and I was like oh okay (laughs) So yeah, I was.
1: And, just, I was and so
2: again, in that time,
1: we we have left you with a legacy of um, heartache, pain, and a and a Pandora's box of absolute chaos to, to sort through as a generation coming. If another one to get you in trouble. Uh, if we could have another referendum, what way would
2: you vote? Oh, remain to the cows come home. Yeah. Like honestly, like. And I don't know if it's because we haven't seen the fully realised version of the UK completely sorted out and out of the EU, but to me, it has just caused so much hassle leaving the EU. But it's also things like losing funding for things like um, growing up in youth work. There was a lot of like um, EU regeneration projects um, that would have done like gardening projects around, you know, rural communities where's the money not by the EU anymore and they I mean, like obviously a lot it, it kind of sparked up these other um like conversations around like when brexit happened then more conversations around independent scotland started happening again because scotland wanted to stay majority and so did northern ireland and then with the northern ireland protocol with the irish sea border that brought violence that brought riots on the streets in t- 2021, 20, I want to say. And it's like, that could all have been avoided. Then again, how do we know that would have been avoided if we remained? We'll never know.
1: Yeah, yeah we, do, we, we don't have the, the access to the parallel universe for the decision mm. went the other way, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, you, you do raise some good points there. And the fact that you're a student, I suppose, the Erasmus system is... is not really open to you anymore? Where the students before Brexit had the chance to go and study in in the rest of the EU. Um
2: yeah, I think I don't know. I know particularly like my uni, um whilst it has obviously like lessened the amount of places you're able to go, each university has their own kind of like what's the word? partnerships. So I still can go to there's a lot a lot of places I could choose to go to, like Madrid is one of them nice sunny weather for <laughs> like there is there's a lot of places across europe that i still could go maybe it's a wee bit more awkward now and maybe there's less funding yeah. but it's not as if erasmus has disappeared and nobody studies abroad anymore yeah
1: well i have to say this has been refreshing talking to you um i've given you a couple of curveballs there to just to really sort of Make sure that the Twitter feed is going to be interesting over the next couple of days with the likes of Brexit and stuff, and, and how it's going to go in the future. So, I suppose the next couple of questions should be even even heavier just to finish you off. I mean, eh, we have an election cycle next year. Um, are you going to stand for Westminster, be an MP? No.
2: Um, I I think running to be MP in the middle of a degree is probably not a good idea, especially living in Scotland because I d- I don't don't think I'd get elected, but I definitely wouldn't get elected in Glasgow.
1: <laughs> but the, um, on the other hand, um, we have David Cameron now back into government, you know. Um, so stranger things have happened. I wouldn't rule it out, Atlanta just quite yet.
2: No, I know. I, I feel like, you know, today has just been crazy in the world of politics. But, um, yeah, it's something that, like, I'd love to do just to say I did it, but. Nah, I'll, I'm still got my degree to do, so maybe not this okay.
1: one. Okay, we'll, we'll mark that down as a note for next year. But maybe going forward <laughs> at the years, uh, <laughs> not putting any pressure on Doug to get you sort of nominated anywhere along the line. Of course, um, I suppose, I suppose we maybe should talk about Westminster a wee bit just on, on what's happened today. I mean, in the last in the last half decade, well, we had Brexit, Trump, um, protocols, frameworks. Politicians coming back from obscurity and the fact that he calls Brexit in the first place. Um, we seem to be in the twilight zone of politics. What would be the weirdest thing you think you've witnessed in the last couple of years that just springs to mind about how weird this, this world is getting politically wise?
2: The fact that a cabbage lasted longer than Liz Truss. That cabbage. Like how many like how many prime ministers did we have in the space of a couple of months? Her like you know, I feel really bad for anybody studying a level politics right now because they have so much to do, so much to mm-hmm. keep track of who who's the current like whatever minister. That could change tomorrow. Nobody knows. Um I feel like, you know, David Cameron's back in, who knows? Nick Clegg might appear from somewhere and we'll be back to twenty ten 2010, or 2010,
1: 2013 again. Yeah. That, nick of have a chance to sort of Nick Nick could go back on his promises again for free university places. He can redouble down on that when he made the promise <laughs> they get if he got to depart and didn't follow through with it. So yeah, there's there's always there's always that for him. Um I suppose I'm gonna let you go um in a minute or two, but I'm just I'm just thinking about the dynamics of this place and where you are and where the rest of those young politicians, not just the young unions, but the rest of the young politicians are at the moment. So we have a cycle next year and then we have what is it, four more years, three more years, four more years to council again, mm-hmm. which is where most people young people cut their teeth. Um and the one we haven't talked about, I suppose, is Stormont, because I deliberately tried to avoid it tonight. But
2: oh, sorry, what's um, what's that? I haven't heard of that in a while. <laughs>
1: uh, the big white house over in East Belfast. I don't use too often. We we'll let tourists walk around it nowadays. Um, if if it ever is up and running again, and I'm going to take it from the party that you're in, you'd like to see it back up and running again for the for sort yeah, of totally. the foreseeable. Um, is that somewhere you'd like to be in the future? And again, God knows when that next election cycle will be because it, it, I don't know whether they're going to come back in the way they said, whether they'll come back in with an election uh, and then we're back to sort of... Yeah.
2: To me, you know, it's this ever-questioning thing that so many young people have when they leave Northern Ireland is, do I go back? Because, like, right now I'm having a great time in Scotland there's just the small things like bus travel for everybody under twenty two free, free, anywhere across the country free, fantastic. Why don't we have that in Northern Ireland? You know, just the small things like how well our young, like young people, are taken care of over in Scotland versus most of my friends back home. And whether it's for lack of opportunity or whether it's for lack of ambition, nobody else is doing university. Everybody else left school at 16 and was working full time. And to me, that's not somewhere that I can see myself spending the rest of my life. Like Northern Ireland, you know, it is home and it's it's always going to be my home. And it's going to be somewhere that I will never be ashamed to say that I'm from Northern Ireland. But to me, there's, there's no real pull for young people anymore there's no opportunities you know yes there's Queen's University yes there's Ulster University but that's a small percentage of young people that are able to get in to those universities and it's like what about the rest of us you know as much as I'd love to go back to my hometown of you know put it on and go and represent my peers I just feel like I, after being here for almost a year and a half, I feel already so disjointed from the people back home because yeah, I've that's a-, a completely different life. And it's not even just because I'm in university or because I'm not still in contact with a lot of them. It's just Northern Ireland sometimes just seems so backwards. And, it, you know, it is a heartbreaking thing because it's like that is my home and I'd love to say I'd love to go back, but... Is there a job for me? Who knows. Is there a house for me? Who knows. Is it somewhere that I can sustain myself in the future? The the it's a big question mark, and especially with Stormont not up and running, there's nobody setting out policies for us, for young people to be able to say, I hey, there's going to be a help to buy scheme in place for young people," because we're seeing housing prices shoot up. Nobody nobody's buying houses anymore. Everybody's renting, and. With a storming government up and running, maybe there could be something there to help us. There could be something to incentivize us. But when we're saying even the politicians can't agree enough to to go and rule out or rule out laws, then you know how can we inevitably say, yeah, I do want to go back and I want to make a life here.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and that plays into the whole theme that we hear about whether oh, it's the brain drain or what way you want to put it. But our young ones leave this this place and they get a taste of life without... Oppression is not the right word, but it is the right word, you know. Not oppression as they're being put down, but it's the oppression of, of the atmosphere here sometimes. And they get out and get a bit of freedom, whether that be for their political thoughts or how they want to live their lives. But they leave leave Northern Ireland and they very rarely come back. Um and as much as it's been really great talking to you, you've now put me on a sort of downward trajectory with that Aww. comment. I'm so I'm very sad now. Yeah, that we're gonna it lose. L- sad, l- lose. But, you know, yeah,
2: it, I feel is, bad to my family. Like, oh, they're like, oh, you're coming back, and I'm like, I don't know. I'll see, I'll see. But I feel uh, that a- the young people that are in Northern Ireland are taking steps in the right direction to start to improve our country for us. So maybe in three, four, five years. When I'm done education, maybe we'll be looking at a completely different place.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the challenge for us that are here at the moment is to, is to create the atmosphere for young people to want to come home again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we need it because we need those young people to come home with the experiences that they have elsewhere of what could be and bring yeah. them to here and and make them happen. You know, what you're saying there, travel for under-22s? Yeah, please. Uh, let's let's look at that. Or let's look at travel for people who are unemployed and heading to job interviews and stuff. Let's, let's enable people. Um, free transport for the NHS. so We don't have to worry about free car parking. Yeah. Let's give them free transport to work so we don't have to worry about the, all the car parks and all that free parking that goes on. There's a lot of ideas we, we can explore. And yes, we need to, we need to make sure that we have some sort of system in place and finances in place that we can bring our young people home and let them let them run rats. Right. let them start with a clean slate and, and design a, a better place for us all because yeah, that's what we always want. That's all we want is, is, a, is, a yeah. better, is a better future. Um, Well, you are the future. I'm part of the past. It's been it's been good and it's been depressing uh, and it's been fun talking to you, Alana. So thank you very much for joining me tonight.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Not a problem. I'm sure I, I can envisage something coming up in the future where you and your peers will be involved in shrapnel in some way because i think this is something that me and Garth need to be looking at as two old fogies we need to be <laughs> looking at how, how we facility has some sort of platform for you guys moving forward so i'll keep in touch Lana. thank you very much
2: thank you